Yesterday I explained about why it's easier to meditate on a personal form of God because it's something concrete that we can think of, whereas meditating on impersonal God or formless God is very abstract. There's nothing actually that you could tell someone to think about. And I also explained that it is only through God's grace that our meditation is effective. Otherwise it would be a purely mayic meditation which is the same category that all other meditations come into. Mayak meditations. Because what are we using to meditate? Our mayak mind. This mind is made of the energy called maya, which I described to you on the very first day. That's the material energy. So our very mind is mayak. It's material. So how can a material thing reach divine God? It can't. Even if God were standing right in front of us, we still wouldn't recognize his divinity. Even though he's omnipresent and he's the form of bliss, we don't experience that bliss. Because our mind and our senses are material. So we're like the ant who spent the whole day on a mountain of sugar, but came back at the end of the day and told all of the other ants that, boy, that sure was a really salty day today. And they said, what are you talking about? That whole thing was made of sugar. We were carrying the grains of sugar back to our mound the whole day. Why are you saying it's a mound of salt? Everybody agrees it's a mountain of sugar. So the one ant kept insisting that, no, all I tasted was salt all day. So they investigated and they found that that ant had a big lump of salt in his cheek. So no matter how much sugar he had in his mouth, the whole day all he tasted was salt. Something like that because our mind and senses are material. So even if God is actually standing in front of us, or back up 5,000 years and we went to Braj during Sri Krishna's avatar, or back up even more to Ram's avatar, and we actually met Ram face to face, or Krishna face to face, even then we wouldn't have recognized their divinity because our eyes are material. So even divine things appear material to us. And even though we are swimming in the ocean of bliss, literally, because God is Anand and He's omnipresent. So we're swimming in the ocean of happiness, yet we're going to die of thirst. Tulsilasji says that uh, how is it that the souls are completely surrounded by God yet they can experience God. Ananda Sindhu Madhya Tavavasa Binu Jane Katamara You're swimming in the ocean of divine nectar, yet you're dying of thirst. Yes, this is because we can't experience divinity with our material mind. So then how will we meditate on God? This was the question I brought up yesterday. Because God is divine and is completely beyond the material energy. 
just like you can't see with your ears, you can't hear with your nose, you can't taste with your eyes, each individual sense is relegated to one specific way of perceiving the world. And that is within the material world. So when our, when our eyes cannot even hear a material sound, see our senses are even limited within this material world, then how can they perceive something beyond the material world, divine God? It's impossible. So then when we meditate, whatever we think of, we may be trying to think of God, we may be trying to think of Krishna in our mind, and picturing him exactly how we've seen the photos that are made or the murtis, yet whatever we're going to visualize is only going to be material. This would be true except for one thing, that God is bracing us for our effort. This is the thing that makes this rupdhyan meditation of a different kind than other meditations because you can separate all meditations into two categories. Those meditations where the mind is being used to focus on something but within the material realm and those meditations or you can say that meditation where your mind is in God. God is bracing you for that. That's what bridges the gap between us and Him. Otherwise, we could never think of Him. We could never uh, imagine Him correctly. And even though we're not imagining Him correctly, as He actually is in His divine form, yet He knows that we're trying. And He just graces us for our effort. Therefore, our meditation is not purely material nor is it purely divine. When you get a divine mind, then you can actually think of divine God. You can have a divine meditation. So we're somewhere in between, in a devotional state of consciousness, when we're meditating on the form of God, because His grace actually is entering our mind to some degree, to whatever degree of faith we have in Him, his grace enters our mind and we receive the benefit of that. It's actually the same science behind Murti Puja as this Rudhyan meditation. We worship God by coming to the Mandir. We bow down before the Murti. Murti means uh, something made in an image of God. We offer things to that Murti. We worship God in that form. So why does this work? So you can ask the same question that we were asking, that why does our, when our material mind can only think of material things, why do we get any kind of divine benefit for such a material meditation? The same thing could be asked of Murti Puja. Is that not a piece of stone? Yes, it is. So are we worshipping a piece of stone? No, we're not. Well, some may, but you're not supposed to be. God is omnipresent, so God is in that piece of stone, is He not? Yes, He is. 
He's not only in the piece of stone. He's everywhere. He's in the chandelier, he's in the ceiling tiles, he's in my microphone, he's in the water. He's everywhere. So, he is in that piece of stone. When we worship God in the form of the Murti, we are not limiting God. We're saying that God is also in this, so I'm focusing my attention on this. You could worship anything. You could say, God is in this microphone. I'm going to bow down to this microphone. Nothing wrong with that. But the Murti is more likely to help us evoke some real feelings of attachment for God. Plus, the Murti is actually created according to the, the description of saints who have met God. So that's supposed to help us form an image of God. This all works because God is omnipresent, all-knowing, and gracious. If you weren't these things, then even Murti Puja wouldn't have value. But you see it works like this. There are four different situations, possible situations. You can worship a divine entity, meaning God, or you can say you can attach your mind to God, not knowing that He's God, and you will attain Him. You can attach your mind to God, knowing that He's God, and you will attain Him. You can attach your mind to a material thing, thinking of God, being in that thing, and you will attain God. Or you can attach your mind to a material thing, not thinking of God, and then you will not attain God. So there's four situations out of the four. Three give us God realization, and one keeps us in the world. The first one, attaching your mind to God unknowingly, and the second one, knowingly. This would only be possible during his avatar, meaning he's physically here in front of you, you can see him, and either you know who he is or you don't know who he is, but you attach your mind to him. Now, knowing who he is and attaching your mind to him, that makes sense. Everyone would agree, okay, if you met Krishna during his avatar and you attached your mind to him, you loved him, you surrendered to him, you'll attain him, because that's the axiom of our scriptures. Whatever you attach your mind to, that is what you will attain. So you knowingly attached your mind to Krishna, you attained him. Why does it work if you unknowingly attach your mind to him? In other words, let's say you met Krishna 5,000 years ago, and you didn't realize he was God, you just took him to be someone that, that you liked. Your friend, your brother, some kind of feeling like that. You started loving him in your mind, so your mind got more and more attached to him. You didn't know he was God, but you were attaching your mind to him. When your mind gets 100% attached to him, you attain him. This works the same way certain things in this world work, like medicine. Let's say you have a disease and you have a pill 
and you know exactly what's in that pill and what it's going to do when you swallow it, that it's going to cure you, so you swallow it and you get cured. The power in that was transferred to you. Now let's say you have a disease, you don't know anything about the pill, someone slips it into your food, and you eat the food, and along with the food, down goes the pill. You'll get cured. Same thing, no difference. Because the power of that thing is transferred to you, you ingested it. Same thing with God. You knowingly attach your mind to Him, you attain Him. You unknowingly attach your mind to Him, you attain Him. Like a paras money, which turns iron into gold. If you knowingly touch the iron to the paras money, the iron becomes gold. If you don't even know it's a paras money and you happen to bump into it with a piece of iron, it becomes gold. The power is transferred when the contact is made. There's a live wire, you want to electrocute yourself so you grab it, as soon as you touch it, the electricity is transferred to you. Is a live wire and you have no idea what it is, thinking it's something safe, you put your hand around it and touch it, the electricity transfers to you. Same way, it has nothing to do with whether you know about it or not. So similarly, during Krishna's avatar, if someone knew he was God or didn't know he was God, either way, if they attach their mind to him, they attain him. What about the other two? A material thing in which God is present, of course, He's everywhere. What happens when we attach our mind to that material thing? When we attach our mind to a material thing like a murti, it's a piece of stone. But in our mind, we're thinking, I'm not attaching our mind, my mind to a piece of stone, I'm attaching my mind to Krishna who is in the stone. Then you will attain Krishna. Because you're not attaching your mind to the stone, you're attaching it to Krishna. But if someone takes the murti just to be a piece of stone, then they get no divine result. They get just the material result of attaching your mind to a piece of stone, whatever result you get from that. So the stone is not giving the result. It's the fact that you're thinking of God, you're attaching your mind to God by seeing Him in that stone. In the Bhagavatam, eight different types of murtis are described. Shaili darumai lauhi Lepya lepya chasaikati Marimai manomai marimai Pratimashtavidha smrita Eight different materials that a murti can be made of are described in this shloka. The first one, shaili, out of stone, carved out of stone. Second one, darumai carved out of wood. The third one, lauhi, made out of some kind of metal or mixture of different metals. Lepya, made out of clay. Take some clay and form it into a murti. Lekya means 
not a three-dimensional murti, a painting. That's lekhya, someone just like lekhna. So someone painted a picture of God, that is also considered a murti. Saikati made it formed out of sand. Marimai made out of jewels. And manomai, man, manse banayi murti. The murti you imagine in your mind. How do you do that? What we've been talking about. You close your eyes, you imagine Shri Krishna or any other form of God in your mind. You've created a mental murti. And it works the very same way. You don't get the result of worshipping the piece of stone. You have to put your faith in that stone that God is in this. So I'm worshipping Shri Krishna who is everywhere, but I'm just focusing my attention on that piece of stone. And he graces you accordingly. You're attaching your mind to him through the stone. That's fine. He graces you for that. Same thing with your meditation. He, if you're just meditating without any feeling for Shri Krishna, it's not the same. When you form that image of Shri Krishna, you also have to imbue it with your faith. Just like you imbue your Murti Puja with your faith, that Krishna is in this. So you form the image in your mind and then you say, Krishna is in this, he is right here. So just like the stone is not an exact representation of what Krishna actually looks like, nor is, your nor is the image you form in your mind an exact representation of what Krishna looks like, but he graces you for your effort. For the faith that you imbue in that. That faith is the joining power of the mind. Through that you join to Krishna and then you receive his grace. There's a story of Namdev, who was a great saint, a bhakt of Sri Krishna who lived in Maharashtra. When he was very young, he lived just with his mother and his mother's father, his Nanaji. His Nanaji was a big devotee of Shri Krishna. He did a lot of puja to his murti of Shri Krishna every day. And Namdev used to love to sit with Nanaji and watch him do everything. And he used to wait and wonder that when will I get to do puja to Shri Krishna? So one day Nanaji had to go to the next village, actually for a couple of days. So he left Namdev in charge. And he said, uh, you know, you're not as, you're not trained to do the puja in the way I do. You can't offer all these different things all the different times of the day like I do, but just do this much. Heat some milk up for Sri Krishna and offer it to him once a day. And after he takes it, then you take the rest as prashad. Namdev was so happy. I'm going to get to do the puja to Sri Krishna. So that night, he couldn't sleep. Kept asking his mother, is it time to get up? Is it time to No, I'll sleep a little more. It's not light out yet. Finally morning came and he got up and he got some fresh milk 
and he started heating it up and he put some saffron and different elaichi and different spices in it to make it taste good. A little bit of sugar. He made sure it wasn't too hot nor too cold and he brought it and he put it on the in the mandir in front of the murti of Sri Krishna. And he sat and he waited and nothing happened. Krishna didn't come. All the times that his Nanaji had offered any food to Sri Krishna, he had always done it behind the closed curtain. Normally that's, some people, that's the way they offer the food. In many mandirs, that's what they do. When it's time for Bhagwan's bhog, they close the curtain and they go behind the curtain and offer it. So Namdev, he just assumed that if Nanaji is offering the food, Krishna must be coming. He must be eating that food and when Nanaji comes out, that's the leftover food that we're eating as prasad. So why is he not coming today? Oh, you must be really missing Nanaji, that's why. A little sad that he's not here, that's why you're, you don't feel like eating anything today. Or maybe you're just not used to me, you're feeling uncomfortable, so let me go outside and leave you alone. So he went outside the curtain, waited 10 or 15 minutes, and peeked back in. There was still no change, Krishna hadn't come. Now he became worried that he's doing something wrong. So he sat in front of the murti of Krishna for the whole day, stubbornly you can say, but but also thinking that was the right thing to do, that Nanaji has not, he's told me to take the food, then I can take the food. So how can I eat if you're not eating? He sat there the whole day, Krishna didn't come and Namdevji didn't move. He went to bed hungry that night, didn't tell his mother, kept it to himself and went to bed. Next day he got up again, prepared the milk, as best he could, came and offered it to Sri Krishna. Now Krishna is watching Namdev, just like he's watching each one of us. And the thing that melts his heart is our sincere love for him, our faithful devotion to him. Patram pushpam phalam toyam yo me bhaktya prayachati tadaham in the Gita, Shri Krishna says, you don't have to offer me anything fancy. It doesn't have to be chappan bhog. You're going to offer me something as simple as a leaf, a flower, a piece of fruit, a glass of water. If it's offered with bhakti, with faithful, sincere love, then Ashnami, I come and I accept it. Ashnami literally means I ingest it, I eat it. In other words, he physically comes to you when you have the full faith. But the faith has to be complete. He's watching all of us now, he's waiting for the right time to come. But as I explained yesterday, why would he come to us when we're not qualified to even realize that he's God or, or even get the benefit of his association? We wouldn't have any 
kind of divine experience, even if he came to us right now, because we would think he's material, due to our material senses and mind. So he's watching, waiting, hoping for that time, when will this soul surrender to me so I can give him my grace, he can get the divine vision, and then he can recognize me and we can meet. He wants to meet us just as much as we want to meet him. More, you can say. Jo tu dhave ek pag to In the words of Sri Krishna himself, if you take one step towards me, I run sixty steps towards you. But we have to move towards him. He says, on the other hand, if, if your heart is close to me, Jo tu karau to ki If your heart is like a piece of wood, then mine is like a piece of steel. <laughs> if our attitude when we offer the food is, it's just a formality, he's not going to come then it means our heart is like that piece of wood. It's a competition. Krishna says, okay, be tough. <laughs> you don't want me to come? I won't come. Even when we ask him to come, oh, please come and eat this food. Yet, when our faith is not complete, our mouth is saying, please come, Krishna, and our heart is saying he won't come. He's listening to our heart. Our heart is saying, don't come, you won't come, I don't believe you will come. But he's watching and waiting. So Namdev, he must have done a lot of devotion in his previous life, because his heart was very pure. And as he was sitting and waiting for Krishna, his heart was purifying more, because he's exercising his faith. He's attaching his mind more and more to Krishna. He's, he's not treating this murti as a piece of stone. To him it is real Krishna. He's not, not at a hundred percent yet, but he's getting there and Krishna is watching. For every tear a soul cries to meet Krishna, Krishna actually sheds a tear out of his sincere desire to meet that soul. Imagine we don't think of God as wanting to meet us, but it's a fact. Shri Krishna says, whatever feelings you have for me, the same feelings are induced in my heart. It's not a, a decision he makes or some kind of act he's putting on. He actually feels that for us. So imagine how close is Sri Krishna to coming to Namdev now. He's getting very close. But the whole second day also goes by and Namdev sat and Krishna didn't come. On the third day, when he again prepared and offered the milk, he became very concerned because he's thinking, Nanaji is coming home tomorrow. If he comes home and you haven't eaten anything, he's going to scold me, he's never going to let me do your seva ever again. So he started crying. 
and he was crying the whole day, Krishna come, Krishna come, please come to me. His heart is purifying, purifying, purifying. It is said that those tears of selfless love for God are the most powerful purifier of the heart. They wash away all the impurities of the heart. So he actually reached that point of 100% purity and surrender and Krishna appeared out of the murti, picked up the milk and started drinking it, gulping it down. And Namdev watched and then grabbed his hand and said, Hey, Nanaji said you would save some for me. Mr. <laughs> Krishna gave it to him. And then when his Nanaji came, he explained to him what had happened. And Nanaji was amazed that Krishna never came to me. Look at this. My grandson had actual faith in Krishna and I have just been worshipping a piece of stone for my whole life. So this is how Murti Puja works. It's a means of, it's giving us a way to attach our mind to God. As I explained yesterday, God is not just a formless divine entity who is omnipresent in that abstract way. He is also in his personal form and he's omnipresent in that personal form. Vasudevaha Sarvamiti Samahatma Sudurlabha Gita. Sri Krishna says, once a soul becomes God realized, he sees the whole world as that form of God that he has attained. So if you worship Sri Krishna, you see the whole world as Krishna. If you worship Shiva, you see Shiva everywhere. So he is omnipresent in all of his forms. All we have to do is attach our mind to him some way, somehow. So Murti Puja is one method of doing that. But you see it's not the physical act of the Murti Puja. It's the fact that your mind is having faith and is thinking of God. So you can do the same Murti Puja in your mind without physically moving a muscle. You can just close your eyes, make your own murti of Krishna, and then bring him to life. Talk to him, serve him, give him a bath, dress him up, offer him food, dress him with beautiful jewels. All the things you would want to do to your murti at home, but you can do it free of charge in your meditation. You never run out of agarbatti or chandan. You could be doing Murti Puja every morning and all of a sudden, Oh, I didn't notice that the Chandan was finished. How am I going to put Tika on Krishna today? It's okay, close your eyes, grind some Chandan in your meditation and put it on him. What's okay? It's not the physical act of putting the Chandan on him that gives you the benefit. It's the mental attachment to him, the, that feeling that I, I'm putting, really putting this Chandan on Shri Krishna. So you can just do that in your mind as well. This is the meditation. This is Rūbhyāna. It goes on increasing the more you practice. It becomes more and more real, more and more intense. 
यथात्मृज्यते सौमत्ण्यगाश्रवण तथा तथा पश्यति वस्तु सूक्ष्म चक्षुर्यथवांजन संयुक्त भागवत Shri Krishna is telling Uddhav, describing about bhakti, that the more a person attaches their mind to him by visualizing his leelas and chanting his name and virtues with love, the more his mind purifies. And just like if you have a temporary blindness and then you put some Ayurvedic medicine on it and gradually you regain your eyesight, When you first start regaining your eyesight, everything is colorless and blurry, and gradually things become more clear, well-defined. You start to be able to see all the colors, and eventually it becomes perfectly clear. Similarly, as your heart purifies through dhyan, that vision of Shri Krishna that you have in your meditation becomes more and more real, more and more intense. One time there was a sage ji, a businessman, who was very money-minded, but he used to practice Rup Dhyan every day. And he used to love to cook for Shri Krishna in his Rup Dhyan. So every day he would make something for Shri Krishna, and then he would offer it to him and he would watch Shri Krishna partake of that. Today he decided, I want to make some kheer for Shri Krishna. So in his meditation, he's got all the ingredients and he's got this container of kesar, saffron. You know how expensive saffron is, but to really make the best kheer, you have to use some saffron. You don't need that much, you put a proportional amount in. So as he was cooking the kheer in his meditation, he put some saffron in, but by accident he tipped the whole thing in the kheer. And this is a boiling pot of, of liquid. But he was so money-minded, he couldn't help himself. In his meditation, he's going to start taking the saffron out. And Sri Krishna grabs his hand and says, well, it's not worth burning your skin off your hand just over some saffron. Oh, but it's so expensive. <laughs> that was the moment of God-realization for that sage. Krishna had come to him. His meditation had actually become real. So when we get to that point, which takes practice and time, real Sri Krishna appears before us. There was another sage who was also very money-minded, but not very successful. He didn't have much money. He got himself a little murti of Sri Krishna and he started worshipping him. And as he went on worshipping Sri Krishna day by day, it also coincidentally happened that his business also was going down day by day. Whatever little money he did have, he lost all of that as well. So someone said to him, why are you worshipping Krishna? If you want to get more money, you should worship Durga. So he got himself a murti of Durga ji, put her there and put Shri Krishna on the side. 
started worshipping Durga. So he lit some agarbatti, some incense, and he was offering it to Durgaji, but there was a slight breeze, so that fragrance, instead of going towards Durgaji, was going over towards Sri Krishna. <laughs> he became upset that you took everything from me, now you're also taking this? He went and got some rui, some cotton, and he stuck it in the nostrils of that murti of Sri Krishna, and he said, now let me see you take my agarbatti. Shri Krishna appears before him, real Shri Krishna. And Sayyidji, the first thing he says is, why have you come now? <laughs> I was worshipping you for so long. Now that I've put you on the side and stuffed cotton in your nostrils, you come to me? He says, you didn't believe in me until now. Now you actually had the faith that that was really me, so I had to come. So this is how the faith and the dhyan works. He's there waiting, but we have to join our mind with him a hundred percent. To get to that point of a hundred percent, whatever percentage we have, we just start from there and we start practicing. So before we do a little bit of dhyan, we'll do a little more guided meditation like I had you do last session. So let's close our eyes. Get comfortable. For this Rupyan, there's no required way of sitting with your legs crossed a certain way or your hands held a certain way. Just be comfortable and be alert. Sit alertly so that your mind does not feel lazy or get more encouragement to go to sleep. Sit in an alert but comfortable posture whether you're on the floor or in a chair. You can visualize Sri Krishna as I described him to you yesterday. Bluish complexion, holding his flute, wearing his golden crown with a peacock feather, dressed in his saffron, silken dhoti and pitambar. Standing as Sri Krishna does in his own style. We call him Tribhangi Lal. Bluish complexion Sri Krishna always stands in his own very cute style, meaning from the waist he bends a little bit and his neck bends back the other way and he also crosses his feet. So he's bent at the ankle bent at the waist, bent at the neck. It's called Tribhangi Lal. Let's say that you have come and you've met Sri Krishna. He's standing there in front of you. You see him, he's looking at you, he's smiling at you. And you've decided that you would like to do some worship to him. So first of all, you get down on your knees and hands in front of him. You bow down. He's just standing there quietly looking at you. And you bow down. You take your hands 
and you very gently touch them to his lotus feet. You also touch your forehead to his feet. Here, where you've met Sri Krishna, there are many things for you to offer to him. There are many flower malas, necklaces of gold, strings of pearls. So you can pick something up that you would like to offer to Sri Krishna. A beautiful flower garland, perhaps, which has many fragrant flowers from the forest. You take this perfectly made flower garland and you approach Sri Krishna looking at him, looking in his face, and he looks at you and gives you the look that, yes, it's okay, you can go ahead and put it on me. So you reach your hands up and you put the flower garland on him. You notice that he's wearing one gold necklace that has a diamond in it, big diamond. But there's another necklace that you want to put on him. It's got an even bigger diamond, and it's a blue diamond, the biggest diamond you've ever seen, made into a beautiful necklace. So you take off the other one he's wearing, you remove that, you put it on the side, and you offer him this new necklace, golden necklace with a beautiful blue diamond in it. There's a beautiful seat prepared for Sri Krishna, so you ask him to sit, and he sits down. He puts his flute on the side, and now you come and you bring him, you offer him in a beautiful, ornate glass something to drink, something that you perhaps prepared in advance. It could just be water. It could be some lassi. could be some tandai, anything like that. You offer it to him and he accepts and happily starts to drink it. After that you offer him some nashta, you bring some, maybe some mango that you've peeled and cut up for him, some other fruits, some nuts, and he happily accepts that and starts eating. After this, you bring something else. After he's had his snack, you offer him some roti or paratha or puri and some sabzi and dal that you've prepared. Maybe some specialty, whatever your specialty is, that you're good at cooking. You've prepared that for him, and now you're offering it to him. And he looks happy seeing 
that this has been prepared with so much love for him. So he starts eating it and he's enjoying it. Afterwards, you offer him some, a bowl of water to wash his hands and his mouth. Then you offer him some specially prepared bond as a mouth freshener after his meal. In this way, whenever you want to meditate, if you like to do seva to Sri Krishna, if that's an easy way for you to think of him, you can do any kind of seva to him. You can give him a bath if you want. You can dress him up. You can even imagine Sri Krishna being a baby or a little child, your little child that you're taking care of, bathing, dressing, putting him to bed, feeding him. This is all Rupyan, and it all counts as meditation, because during this time, you're faithfully thinking of Sri Krishna, you're seeing him in front of you, and faithfully believing that that is Krishna. And thus we receive His grace through such a meditation. You can slowly open your eyes. <clears throat> In this Rupyan, there are literally limitless variations, different ways that you can engage your mind in thinking of him. You can keep changing, keep changing what he's wearing, keep changing his decorations, keep changing the activity, what you're doing with him, if you're serving him or you're doing something with him like walking or talking, there's no limit to it. It's all up to you. As long as your mind is thinking of Krishna, it counts as Rupyan. And you'll just keep getting the benefit of meditating on Krishna through this Rupyan. So does anyone have any questions or anything you want to bring up about this experience that we just had of doing this Udhyan, anything that was different than other experiences you've had or something that surprised you or something you had difficulty with. Out of the 10 minutes of meditation that we just did, how many minutes was your mind in Krishna? 
Kids are usually better at that than adults, actually. <laughs> if we had a bunch of, you know, eight-year-olds here, they'd probably say, nine minutes, nine and a half minutes. <laughs> and the adults were like, five minutes, three minutes, minute and a half. <laughs> because our mind is actually, the, as we've grown older, we're, our mind is full of more worries of the world, more worldly attachment. So it's harder for us to bring our mind out of all of that worldly activity and have it think of God. It's much harder for us than it would have been when we were younger. But wherever we are, we're starting. We're starting something, or we're continuing from wherever we left off. So we can't uh, feel disappointed or dejected about our troubles in meditation, if we have trouble, we just have to realize that's our starting point, and by practicing we'll go further and further, we'll increase that number. If it was one minute out of ten minutes, then if we practice every day for a month, we might get to the point where we have three minutes out of ten minutes. The more we practice, the more benefit we get. Recommendation is for Kirtan. That Kirtan should be used as a helper in meditation. Then the two of them together with that Kirtan plus the Rudhyan, then you're giving yourself the best chance of purifying your mind and attaching it to God. So we'll do some Kirtan and you can do your own Rudhyan. You can think of Sri Krishna or as I have mentioned, you could also meditate on any other form of God, it's up to you. This week I'm specifically focusing on devotion to Krishna and meditation on Sri Krishna, but the same principles apply to meditating on any other form of God. So you can close your eyes and begin your own Rudhyan. If you have trouble forming the image, you can also open your eyes and look at the Murti then get some idea and again close your eyes. Then if you find it difficult, again open your eyes. So you can do that with a picture at home as well. Let's start doing Rupdhyan and we'll start, we'll add in the chanting. And we'll do that for a few minutes. Radhe Radhe Govinda Bhaji Radhe Radhe Govinda Oh, 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 
वृंदावन बिहारी लाल की